It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here. As we roll along for the next two hours, we're going till 11 a.m. Eastern. First of all, before we go any further, before we talk about any NFL action from Week 16 over the weekend, Merry Christmas one last time. Hopefully the holiday was enjoyable. You got to see some family, eat some good food, have some good times. Hopefully Santa treat you well. You're on the nicest no coal in your stocking on Christmas morning. Obviously that's the goal for everyone. And hopefully that was the case for almost everyone listening. So we appreciate you starting your, I don't know if it's a holiday Monday. Because, you know, this week is always kind of wacky where... Some people are off all week, some people are working. For me, it's a normal week, obviously, so since we're here with you. But whether it's a holiday Monday, whether it's a regular Monday, we appreciate you making us a part of your work week here as you try to bridge the gap between Christmas and New Year's as we get set to ring in 2022. But first, we got to close out 2021, and that includes talking about the final week of the regular season in 2021, at least week 16 in the NFL. Woo! We got a lot to get into. The Chiefs, are they the best they have ever been in the Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? We'll get into that in 20 minutes or so from now. We have NFL Quick Hits. It's always 9.40 a.m. Eastern. 10 o'clock, one hour from now. Should Cliff Kingsbury, coming off the loss to the Colts, now the Cardinals have lost three consecutive games, should he be on the hot seat? Cardinals are 10-5. and We'll discuss that uh, in a little bit. A lot to get into between now and 11 a.m. Eastern, as you can tell. So I appreciate you listening, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, because where you can find us there, Twitter at WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show. Both of those Twitter handles have the live stream of the show right there for your viewing pleasure. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and... Phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. I want to start this Monday show with the Bengals and the Bills. Because I thought, at least coming out of this weekend, out of Week 16, Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, Josh Allen, Bills quarterback, I thought they had the two most impressive individual performances of the week. Burrow lit up the Ravens. Josh Allen willed the Bills to victory. And you look at these circumstances that both teams are facing heading into Week 16, I would say these are two of the clutchest individual performances of the entire 2021 NFL season. That's how impressive both Burrow was and Allen was. And coming out of those two games, right, a Bengals win and a Bills win, I think there is serious reasons to be believing in Cincinnati and believe they can truly make some noise in the playoffs. When the flip side... I still come out of Buffalo's win over New England. A impressive win. I thought a win they were not going to get, to be honest. But there's still some concern to me coming out of Buffalo's win. I'll explain that second. I do want to, though, get into the Bengals and Joe Burrow first. Because, again, this was a massive 
Massive game for the Bengals going against the Ravens. For me, what we talked about on Thursday's show, I thought this game was going to decide the AFC North winner. Right? Still, all four teams are alive. Even though the Steelers got rocked yesterday and the Browns lost on Saturday, all four teams are still alive for the AFC North. The Bengals did not clinch anything. All they did was take a one-game lead in the division with two to go. But I did think when you look at the health of the of the Browns and just the way the Steelers' season has gone, and you look at these two teams coming in, the, the Ravens and the Bengals, I did think the winner of this game was going to win the division. So for a game in which has so much at stake, Joe Burrow managed to save the best game of his career for the biggest game of the season and arguably the biggest game of his career so far two years in. I mean, he single-handedly obliterated that Raven secondary. 525 passing yards, four touchdowns. Those 525 passing yards, a franchise record for Cincinnati, by the way, Fourth most passing yards in NFL history. He did it all himself. And that led to a very important season sweep of the, uh, of the Ravens. He did so in Baltimore a few months ago. Followed up with an even better game. Even a more impressive performance at home on a big stage where the, where the Bengals seriously, absolutely needed a win. And also, he did so not as a compiler. Not as someone who's super inefficient. I mean... They threw the ball, the Bengals, at 47 times. Burrow had just nine incompletions. Nine. Nine out of 47. He was insanely efficient. And even though the Ravens were banged up, I will say, the task wasn't as easy as it appeared, right? I get it. You're going against Josh Johnson, the third-string quarterback for the Ravens. I get you're going against secondary that is completely banged up. That is missing a lot of its big-time players. Marlon Humphrey, unfortunately, the latest Raven to go down in the secondary with a season-ending injury that happened against uh, the Steelers a few weeks ago. So you're playing against a beleaguered secondary and a third-string quarterback. I get it. But we did just watch the Ravens last week when Tyler Huntley go toe-to-toe with the Packers in the fourth quarter defensively, get some stops to get Green Bay off the field to open a door, open the door for Tyler Huntley to erase a 14-point fourth-quarter deficit to be two yards, a two-point conversion away from taking the lead over the Packers in the final minute of the game. So the, so the task wasn't as easy as it appeared. Again, ask the Packers last week. They had their hands full. So it was still a tough task. It was still a big-time test for Joe Burrow in this offense, even though, again, the Ravens came and banged up, and he made it look like it was a high school game. Rolling out of the pocket, avoiding pressure, making some big-time throws down the field, and again, throwing for 525 yards, four touchdowns in an efficient way as the Ravens get blown out in Cincinnati and the Bengals take a one-game lead uh, in the division. But this, to me, the reason why I feel good about the Bengals now, not just coming out of this game, but going forward, they can make some noise in the playoffs, is because of the way they won. Now, usually, they are a balanced team on offense. Joe Mixon has had a very good season so far. They've been able to run the ball really well. And obviously, we know with Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, they could throw the ball and throw it really well. But this game, having it be an air raid type of game, where Joe Burrow attempts to throw the ball 47 times, in a game where, even though the Bengals were up by two scores for almost the entirety of the game, they were still aggressive. They were still throwing the ball in the air, and they were still relying on their second-year franchise quarterback to win them the game. It was able to happen. The Bengals were able to do so. They trusted their franchise quarterback, 
And he came through for them, again, in the biggest game of his career. That, to me, is really impressive and really encouraging now going forward because it's a reflection of Burrow, his mental toughness, his resiliency. But if you look at Joe Burrow, let's call for what it is recently, in some big games, he has not played well. Like, he struggled um, against the Chargers through two interceptions in a game that was massive for playoff seating. They lost that game at home. He played pretty bad for about three quarter against the, uh, quarters against the 49ers. Now, his credit, fourth quarter came alive. Remember, they erase a deficit. They go to overtime. They get a field goal. But then Jimmy G leads them down for a touchdown. But that's two games in a row at home to the Chargers and to the 49ers where Joe Burrow did not play really well. And those were two key, key games for playoff seating. He threw two picks about, what was that, six weeks ago uh, against the Browns and that blowout loss to Cleveland at home in a key divisional game. So there were some big games recently that Joe Burrow has not played, let's say, his best game in. And despite the fact that he struggled recently coming in, his confidence never wavered. His confidence in himself and the head coach, Zach Taylor, his confidence in Joe Burrow. And they still came out aggressive. They still came out throwing the ball. And they came out throwing punches, throwing haymakers at the Ravens, and they landed. And they connected. Joe Burrow's confidence never wavered. His talent obviously is still there, and he was able in the biggest stage to play the best game of the season. And that's really important for a team that's very young trying to win. And the reason why December football is so important in the NFL, the reason why it helps separates or it helps to separate the contenders from the pretenders is because now these games mean so much. Now you can tangibly see in the standings, okay, we only got three or four games left. We're a game back or a game up. These, these are the moments, these are the games that separate yourself and launch into the playoffs. Or if you lose, okay, maybe you really weren't as good as we thought and you're not able to win the big game in the big moment. That crumbles young, inexperienced teams. We've seen it before. And credit to the Bengals. They've never been in this situation. Right? Joe Burrow, one, got hurt and missed the second half of the year last year. But also, two, they were not very good last year. They are never in the playoff conversation. Now they are. And you're going against a Ravens team that is extremely well coached in John Harbaugh. That is a veteran-led team that's been in the big moments. They, they know what it's like to win big games. They won a playoff game last year. So until you actually do it, you don't really know how a team is going to react in a pressure situation. And the Bengals came out not feeling the pressure at all. They took care of business. And that, to me, is very now encouraging going forward. They didn't allow the moment to get to them. They were cool, calm, and collected. That's a reflection on Joe Burrow. That's a reflection on his leadership throughout the rest of the team. That win and the way they won in a dominant fashion, to me, is very encouraging. Because I do think now, forget about winning the division for the first time in 2015, which I think they will. I think the Bengals are in serious now position to win their first playoff game since 1990. It's talking about 30 years. It's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of losses. Remember the Marvin Lewis era and the Andy Dalton era? What, was, what do we always remember about that? They can never win a playoff game. I think that changes this year in part because of the leadership of Joe Burrow and in part for how he played yesterday. The biggest game of his career, 525 yards, four touchdowns, dominant win over a rival in the Ravens. On the flip side, Josh Allen, he played equally as well. He played the best game of his season in a game the Bills absolutely needed. All right, this win now over the Patriots on the road in Foxborough makes the Bills, or puts the Bills, I should say, in the driver's seat to win the AFC East. 
the, uh, the final two games are the Falcons and the Jets, two easy wins that the Bills should get. They are going to now clinch the AFC East and win the division. For the second year in a row, after just two weeks ago, we thought, division's over, Patriots are going to win it. Instead, the Bills get a massive, massive, massive win. But here's why I'm concerned with Buffalo, whereas I am not with the Bengals. Buffalo Bills only have one way to win games. Josh Allen being magnificent. If he is not, if he's anything below exceptional, the Bills aren't winning games. And we saw that again yesterday. The Bills relied solely on Josh Allen to win them this game. Now, to, their, to his credit, Josh Allen, he did. Right? We just talked about it. He played the best game of the season. He absolutely led the Bills to victory. He willed them. He dragged them. But the thing is, and the key for Buffalo here is, if Josh Allen is not unbelievable, they don't have another way to win. Their defense can't get clutch stops. The run game outside of Josh Allen himself is non-existent. So they don't have another way to win unless Josh Allen puts up a heroic performance in the run game, in the pass game, and puts up a ton of points on the board. But look at yesterday. 314 passing yards for Josh Allen, three touchdowns. He also led them in rushing, 12 carries, 64 yards. That's, a, that's to me, very concerning because this is now a trend. This is the sixth game of the season. Josh Allen has led the Bills in both passing and rushing. Six out of 15. That's not a good ratio. You don't want your quarterback leading you in rushing a ton, let alone six times. So now you are continually, for the Bills, asking Josh Allen to do it all. Be Superman. And you know what? If you need to rely on Josh Allen to be an all-time great passer and your leading rusher in a game, that's not a recipe for playoff success. Again, he has Josh Allen has a lot of talent in him. He can put performances like he did yesterday on the field and carry your team to victory. But that's not a sustainable way to win playoff games. That's not how you're going to win two, three, four playoff games in a row against really tough competition. You need your defense to step up. You need your run game with four minutes left to salt the game away. And right now, Buffalo can't do that. Josh Allen was clutch to his credit. He made the plays when he had to. But Buffalo, whether it's their defense, were twice. You needed one stop to win the game. They couldn't get it. Up by, you know, 13 points. Patriots marched right down the field, scored a touchdown. To Josh Allen's credit, he answered a big-time drive. 66-yard drive, 61 of the 66 yards came from Josh Allen either in the air or on the ground. So again, a big-time clutch drive needed. Josh Allen shoulders the load. Now you go up 26-14. Another Patriots touchdown is answered. And again, another big-time clutch drive from Josh Allen. But it just goes to show you, the defense can't be relied upon to get a big-time stop because twice you needed one up two scores, couldn't get it. Now, to Josh Allen's credit, both times he led them down the field for a touchdown, but those drives came solely, essentially, on Josh Allen. Whether he's throwing the ball on big third downs, whether he's converting a huge fourth and, uh, fourth and one, keep the drive going, he is making plays with his legs and with his arm. And that's, to me, a, a scary strategy that you now need Josh Allen to be perfect for two, three, four games in a row to win a Super Bowl. I don't think that's sustainable. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Bills, if they keep on relying on Josh Allen, he's going to not be spectacular. We're not even talking about just good. He needs to be elite, exceptional every single week to win these games. And even if he's not for a half, like we saw the Bucks game a few weeks ago, 
He was really, really good in the second half. But that poor first half doomed the Bills, and even though they got to overtime, was enough to will them to victory in the end. Couldn't rely on the defense, couldn't rely on the run game. It's a continuous problem Buffalo has had. So even though they got the win yesterday, encouraging win, like I said, improbable win. I thought the Patriots were going to win this game easily, to be honest. Buffalo really impressed me with that victory in New England yesterday, but with how they done so is very concerning to me. Come playoff time, that's not how you're going to win playoff games. You could win one. You're not going to win two. You're not going to win three. You're not going to win the Super Bowl with that strategy. So that's why coming out of this game, how Joe Burrow played, super impressed with him from the Bengals' perspective and concerned about the Bills when it comes to their playoff viability, when it comes to making a run to the AFC title game or maybe even getting over that hump and going to the Super Bowl. I don't think yesterday's performance should give you, if you're a Bills fan or a Bills believer, much confidence that that is going to happen. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. What's your belief level in the Bills? Are you back now being a Bills believer after that huge win over the Patriots? And the flip side, the Bengals win the biggest game of the season. Can they win a playoff game? Can they make some noise in the postseason? Love to hear your thoughts. Again, you can comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. You can tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. Also tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show. We return here in just a few minutes. The Kansas City Chiefs blow out the Steelers. This is the most dangerous version of the Chiefs we've ever seen. We'll discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is actually an accident playing this on the greatest by Sia, but honestly, very fitting for the next segment we're about to talk about here. And that is the Kansas City Chiefs. They absolutely obliterate the Steelers yesterday, blow them out of the water, clinch the uh, AFC West for the sixth consecutive season. I think there's a bigger takeaway coming out of this uh, Chiefs-Steelers game, and that is this. This is the most dangerous version. This is the best version of the Chiefs with the Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid era we've ever seen. Think about that. For a team now that has gone to two consecutive Super Bowls, won one, trying to go to a third trade and win two of the last three. This 2021 version of the Chiefs is the best they have ever been under Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid. They're the only team right now in the AFC that's the full package that could do so offensively and defensively. That completeness, that ability to win in multiple ways is why the Chiefs are the most dangerous. And that was shown on Sunday. The game, the blow winner of the Steelers, showed you two things. Number one, offensively. Patrick Mahomes has adjusted now to how defenses are playing him and, and consistently being able to take advantage. But also, on the flip side, defensively, they are still able to play at a high level this late in the season. They are still now, for the first time, again, in the Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid era, the defense is not a liability. It's a strength. Still not probably the biggest strength, right, when the offense is clicking. You have Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill, but they are right up there. 
The defense can win you a game if Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey don't have even their B games. And that's something that you can never say before in this new Chiefs era. That's why this 2021 version is the best we have seen of the Chiefs in Mahomes' time in Kansas City. That is a dangerous and scary thought to uh, digest. But it's true. Right, let's look at the offensive end. Because after a very inconsistent start to the season, especially offensively, where up until about two or three weeks ago, there were still questions about the Chiefs' offense, we have finally seen now the Chiefs figure it out. Patrick Holmes, Andy Reid, the entire Kansas City offense has realized, basically, put it simply, teams are going to play prevent defense. They're going to play two safeties deep. They are not going to allow any deep shots to Travis Kelsey, to Tyreek Hill, to Miko Hardman. They are going to keep everything in front of them. Instead of now a three-play, 75-yard drive, they want the Chiefs to go 10 plays and 75 yards. And guess what? For a large part of the season, the Chiefs were getting impatient. They were not taking what the defense gave, uh, gave them. They were trying to force it and saying, you're going to try to you know, triple cover Tyreek Hill deep. We're still going to beat you deep. And guess what? It wasn't working. That's why Patrick Holmes was throwing picks and, and you know, giving them away more than Oprah gives out uh, you know, gifts to her audience come holiday time. It's the reason why the Chiefs offense was so bad and so clunky. You're like, oh my God, are the Chiefs going to miss the playoffs? Remember when they were 3-4? and four? There was serious discussion about whether Kansas City would even make the playoffs this season. It's because the offense looks so bad. They look so discombobulated for the first time um, under Patrick Mahomes that it's like, what is going on? They're never going to figure it out. Because they kept on doing the same thing over and over and over again. It was the definition of insanity. Teams took away the deep ball, but they kept trying to force it. They weren't, you know, taking the underneath passes. And instead... Those deep shots into double and triple coverage ended up being turnovers. But guess what? The patience finally set in. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they have woken up and realized we can still score a ton of points by throwing the ball underneath and letting our speedsters just run by everybody. Right now, instead of pushing the ball deep, instead of hitting Tyree Kill 60 yards down the field, they're throwing Tyree Kill the ball five yards down the field. They're throwing Amico Harmon two yards down the field and saying, go run. You're fast. You're elusive. Go beat everyone. And guess what? It's working. Patrick Mahomes checking the ball down now has unlocked the offense. Sunday's the perfect example of this. His, Patrick Mahomes' average air yards per completion was 5.2. 5.2, which means, on average... Every time he completed a ball, on average, it went in the air about five yards. So meaning he's throwing the ball, for the most part, five yards past line of scrimmage or less. Underneath routes and letting his fast receivers burn past defensive backs, run around. And if you're going to play 20 yards, fine, we'll throw it five and then we'll, you know, get another, uh, you know, big chunk yards after the catch. And look at yesterday. That's all the Kansas City receivers are doing. The speedsters were taking advantage of the Steelers playing deep. Byron Pringle was your leading receiver with 75 yards and two touchdowns. Most of it underneath passes let him run. Derek Gore, running back, three catches over 61. Miko Hardman, 31 yards. Darren Williams had three catches. All those names, you know who they're not? They're not Tyree Kill. Think about it. In a game where you, you scored 36 points, 
against the Steelers. Your top four leading receivers in terms of either catches or yards were Byron Pringle, Derek Gore, Mecole Hardman, Darrell Williams. Terry Kill was basically not a factor. And obviously, Travis Kelsey didn't play because of COVID. And you have a Kansas City offense that's still putting up 36 points. That's impressive. And that goes to show you, again, that you want to take Tyreek Hill away? You want to double him deep? Fine. Mahomes is now throwing it to his running backs. He's throwing it to his third and fourth option, that receiver, and letting them run with it. That's a dangerous and scary now way to face the Chiefs because I don't know how you're stopping this offense. Tyreek Hill had just two catches for 19 yards. Two catches for 19 yards. The Steelers did a tremendous job on limiting Hill's explosiveness, not allowing him to beat him. And guess what? It didn't matter. The game was over by halftime. They, again, they dropped 36 points without their two best weapons, basically, being a factor in the game. Mahomes threw for 258 yards, three touchdowns again. Well, basically, Tyreek Hill was irrelevant, and Travis Kelsey was out. That shows you the evolution in this Chiefs offense, which makes them, again, the scariest team now to defend, the hardest team to defend in the AFC. And you look at Kansas City. They are doing, finally, what championship teams do. They round into form in December. They played their best football the last third or so of the season and really enter the playoffs on a high Hitting their, uh, you know, hitting their stride. And you look now, they blow out the Steelers. He had an impressive overtime win on a short week in LA last Thursday night, 34-28. Which, you know what, you needed your two best players in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and they absolutely came through for you. Like Kelsey had 191 yards, two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 140 yards on touchdown himself. Those two guys were unguardable. Unguardable. Which shows you, okay, you want to put all your attention on them, even when you try to, you still can't take him away. And even if you leave him single covered, well, that's where Patrick Holmes is going to take advantage. And those two guys, you know, Travis Kelsey reminds you he's the best tight end in the NFL. And Tyreek Hill reminds you he's a really damn hard receiver to cover. And you want to take him away, or they're not playing, or you do a good job in limiting Tyreek Hill, Mahomes will take the other options there. The offense is finally now evolved to where they will take what the defense gives them. They have no problem marching down the field 10 plays. The only thing that matters is scoring six. The Chiefs have done that at a very high pace. They've done so very consistently. And that should be a scary now factor for every team in the AFC. But here's why, again, the Chiefs are the most, not only the, the most dangerous team in the AFC, obviously, and the team to beat yet again, but the reason why they are the best version of themselves that we've ever seen is because now their defense can be relied upon. We weren't able to say that in 2019. We weren't able to say that in 2020 last year. This Chiefs offense, or this Chiefs defense was you were basically praying, get a stop. Don't get in two shots. Just get one or two stops, and Mahomes and Co. on offense will be able to figure it out. You know, do the rest. Right? That, that Chiefs uh, offense was so hard to slow down. If you got one or two stops on defense, you're more likely going to win a game. But now this year, you're not even asking for Kansas City to get one or two stops. They are routinely getting stops. And again, when the def- when the offense, excuse me, was in a lull, was in a funk, the defense was leading Kansas City to victory. They were being relied upon and coming through. Like I get, right? Yesterday's not maybe the best example of trying to highlight the, the Kansas City offense because the Steelers 
or Kansas City defense, excuse me, because the Steelers' offense is not very good. They're not a juggernaut, right, to say the least. But you still had Kansas City completely shut him down and take him out of the game. Forced three turnovers, limited Big Ben, just 159 yards passing. They totally took the Steelers out of the game midway through the first half. And Parker's offensively could do nothing. Couldn't move the ball. You had the other side of them playing complimentary football where the Chiefs could not be stopped offensively. But it's not just yesterday, right? Because you had, even going back to last week, that Chargers game mentioned, yeah, they gave up 28 points, but also to the amount of stops they got on fourth down to keep the team in it. Because like, even offensively, they scored 34 points, but the Chiefs offense, it was kind of a grinded-out game last Thursday against the Chargers. Mahomes was missing passes. The offense went into, you know, uh, some quiet streaks uh, midway through the game. And you had that Chiefs defense still keep Kansas City in it. Right? They got a few stops by the goal line. They kept L.A. out of the end zone. They got the ball back. They, I think they were one of five, if I'm not mistaken, on fourth down the Chargers were. They got some big-time stops. And now, when you look at the season, the Chiefs are a top-10 defense. They are tied for ninth and allowing 21.1 points per game. So you have a Chiefs defense that is really keeping teams out of the end zone. And whether the Chiefs offense is high-flying or whether they're in a funk, they are still winning games. Remember, by the way, when the Chiefs were 3-4, and four, and we talked about before, there's questions about whether they make the playoffs. They have not lost a game since being 3-4. and four. They've now won their eighth consecutive game of the year. 11-4, and four, AFC West champs, number one seed in the AFC with two games to go. There are absolutely no questions no concerns about Kansas City, nor should they be. Why? Because this is the best version of the Chiefs we've ever seen in the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes era. So for me, I think they're going to their third consecutive Super Bowl. If you listen to the show, hopefully you have. Not just today, but you know, throughout the football season so far, as we've you know, dissected and broken down the last 16 weeks of the NFL. I have never jumped off. I've never wavered from the Chiefs. You know, when they were three and four, everyone was talking about, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs. There's so much panic. You know, the Chiefs are, are dead. They're not even going to win their own division. Never panicked. Never jumped off the bandwagon. Always still stuck with the Chiefs as my Super Bowl representative from the AFC. Why? Because even though they were struggling, you know, the offense was really looking bad at times. They still had Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. As long as those guys are healthy. You gotta believe, you gotta have faith that they're gonna figure it out. They, they don't just wake up midway through the 2021 season and forget how to play football. Start stinking out of nowhere. Everyone goes through ruts, everyone goes through phases of their career where they're not playing well, where they're out of rhythm, out of sync. But the great ones figure it out. The good coaches start to see what defenses are doing. The great quarterbacks realize, oh, okay, fine, I gotta fix this part of my game. Travis Kelsey, Tyra Kill, I've shown you. They have found abilities, even when they're getting double and triple teamed, to find openings, find weaknesses and cracks in the defense, to go open, to make a big play. And it took a while, but now you see Kansas City peaking, Kansas City playing their best football of the season, doing so as we enter January, and they are the best version I think we've ever seen in Kansas City. So I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts here. For me, obviously, as you can tell, I never kind of got off the Chiefs bandwagon, and now, more importantly, again, I think they're going to the Super Bowl for the third straight year. I don't see anyone in the AFC knocking them off, but I'm curious, what about you? Is there a team you're looking at 
that could prevent the Chiefs from going to their third consecutive Super Bowl in a year right, that has been wide open, especially in the AFC. Only one team has clinched a playoff berth, and that is the Chiefs we were just talking about. But everyone else is wide open. This year, this entire year has been the wild, wild west. Is there any team you look at? The Bengals, the Bills, maybe the Colts, the Titans. Can any team knock off the Chiefs in the playoffs? Love to hear your thoughts. Tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Also on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Just the initials for Worldwide Sports Network, WWSRN underscore radio is where you can tweet us. Also find the live stream, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network is where you can comment there as well. We do return here. It's 940 a.m. Eastern, which means it's time for quick hits. We bounce around the NFL, hit on a few games, we uh, a few storylines we haven't hit on, including... The Giants bringing back Joe Judge and Daniel Jones, that a good move. And the Chargers. The Chargers continue to charger. We'll get into that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 20 minutes from now, Cliff Kingsbury, is he on the hot seat for the Cardinals? We will discuss that. It's at 20 minutes or so from now. But it's 940 every single Monday in the NFL season. We bounce around the NFL. A little quick hits action. Hit on a few uh, storylines we didn't touch on so far throughout the show. The Chargers, man. They continue to show... Why they are the most anemic team in the NFL. Why they absolutely can't be trusted no matter what. And really the sad part for LA is for how good they have been. For such a great story, you know, Brandon Staley has with his aggressiveness. And Justin Herbert, how, you know, at times he's looked like an elite quarterback in the NFL. The sad part for the Chargers, I think the, really the story of their season should be. You, we shouldn't be surprised they lost this game to the Texans. Like this is what happens when you are solely reliant on your quarterback to win you games, where if, again, if he's not elite, if he's not outstanding, if you don't have any other way to win, you're not going to. And it shouldn't be surprising that even a lowly team like the Texans take down a playoff team in the Chargers. Like the Chargers don't run the ball very well. They don't stop the run at all. Defensively, they can't be relied upon. So, again, if Justin Herbert is not Superman... The Chargers are going to lose more than they're going to win. And even a game like a, a, a team facing the Texans, it leads you to getting dominated by Houston. Like, look at these stats. Rex Burkhead, 149 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Houston as a team ran for 189 yards. Are you kidding me? The Texans. You can make the argument they have the least amount of talent of any team in the NFL. Less than the Lions, less than the Jets, less than the Giants, less than the Jaguars. This Texans roster is atrocious. And you were still, you know, unable to stop Rex Burkhead on the ground, unable to stop Davis Mills on the air, an efficient 21-27, 254 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers, sacked just one time. I know Joey Bosa was not playing in this game, but you really couldn't take advantage of a just brutally bad Texas offensive line. This goes to show you again that the Chargers are led by one man. Football is a team sport. I get the cliche. 
But if Justin Herbert is not exceptional, which he was not in this game yesterday, the Chargers don't stand a chance. Right? Statistically, Herbert looked impressive. 336 yards, one touchdown, but two picks, one return for a touchdown. His 92.1 passer rating is a very important stat to point out. This is now the eighth game of the season where Justin Herbert has had less than 100 passer rating. 100 passer rating is considered exceptional, elite. Like, you had a tremendous game. Right? That's kind of the bar for 100 passer rating. You had a great, 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 great performance. Eight games this year, Justin Herbert has failed to reach the 100 passer rating mark. The Chargers record in those games where Justin Herbert has a sub-100 passer rating, 1-7. and seven. And they won the first game. They've lost the last seven. So they've lost the last seven games where Justin Herbert's passer rating has been below 100. You need to be more balanced. You need to find other ways to win. You need to be able to rely on your defense if Justin Herbert's not exceptional to slow down the Texans' offense. I know Austin Eckler was not playing this game, but you need to be able to run the ball, control the clock, control the physicality of the game, and the Chargers can't do that. It's why the most they are they are the most anemic team in the NFL. They could beat anyone on any given day. They literally can lose to anyone on any given Sunday. I absolutely cannot trust the Chargers. I think they'll still make the playoffs. I don't feel great about them at all because they again showed you they are a Justin Herbert solely reliant team. Herbert plays well. He plays great. They're gonna win. If he does if he plays anything less than great, they don't have a prayer. They don't have a chance. Speaking of not having a prayer, the Giants already, according to this Adam Schefter, deciding to bring Joe Judge back, their head coach for 2022, and Daniel Jones back in 2022, shows you the Giants don't have a prayer next week. Now, I'll say this. When it comes to bringing Daniel Jones back next season, I think that's a smart move. I think that's the right move. But I think bringing Joe Judge back is a horrible decision and the wrong decision. For Daniel Jones, let's call for what it is. He's not the franchise quarterback of the Giants. He is not going to be the guy that's there for the next 10 years to lead this team to the playoffs. I'm not a believer in Daniel Jones. But the reason why I think he has to be brought back in 2022 is because you need the Giants to, you know, you need him to be a placeholder next season. You, The Giants have two picks now with the Bears winning. and It hurts a little bit, but they have the Bears first round pick and obviously their own. Right now, both from the top 10. So you're going to have two top 10 picks. The Giants absolutely should not draft a quarterback. Do not draft a quarterback. So that's why you keep Daniel Jones. Going into year four, you don't exercise his fifth-year option, but you keep him there as a placeholder, and you build up the offensive line. You build up the defensive line. You get talent to fill the other 52 positions on your team, and then once you worry about and once you are able to build up the rest of the team, that's when you go after the quarterback. Have Daniel Jones come back next year. Have him take the lumps. Have him, you know, just run the offense and try to run it competently. But this offseason should be all about making the team better. Do not focus on the quarterback. Do not waste resources trying to chase another quarterback or trying to use, you know, draft one um, with a first-round pick. Get guys in the trenches. That's how you turn this Giants team around. They've been a laughing stock the last few years because the team stinks. Some of it's not Daniel Jones' fault, and he's gotten a bad break at times in terms of playing behind an awful offensive line with skilled players that have either been busts or injured. So a lot of it's not his fault. I'm not saying, you know, he should be blamed, but I don't. I still don't think he's a franchise guy. I don't think he's shown you enough to believe in him. But have him come back as a placeholder. 
have him just take the lumps, try to, you know, maybe give you some hope for a franchise, but worry about getting a quarterback in 2023 when this roster is better, when this team is better. That's why I think it makes sense to bring Daniel Jones back for next season. It does not, to me, though, make any sense to bring Joe Judge back. Here's why. Dave Gettleman is currently right now the Giants GM. He will not be in that role come the end of the season. Whether he retires, whether he's reassigned, whether he's fired, there's going to be a new GM for the Giants taking over. Why is it the new GM you're going to hire making the decision on the head coach? You already picking a GM with a head coach in place does one of two things. Either this, number one, you're going to pick a GM that Joe Judge likes. So you, now you're going to enable a head coach that is not very good. You're going to even give him more power now because you're going to basically allow him to dictate and decide who the next GM is. And they're going to be buddy-buddy with Joe Judge, which I don't think is a very good idea. Or two, you're going to pick a GM that is right for the job, but you're already going to force him you know, to, play, to be a GM with one hand tied behind his back because you're forcing him to take a head coach that he does not want, he does not like. And guess what that means? That only adds more dysfunction, only delays the inevitable. Because if you have a GM hire that does not like Joe Judge, I want to say replacement, but is not allowed to because of ownership, Joe Judge is going to coach 2022 and then get fired, or coach 2023 and get fired. And all you're doing is delaying the inevitable and preventing your GM from having, you know, being in a position to succeed. Right? If the GM and the head coach are on the same page, you're not leading to a lot of success. You're only adding more dysfunction. So that's why I think it's, to me, it makes sense for the Giants to clean house. I get Joe Judge is only in year two. I don't think he's shown you anything as a head coach that warrants his return. And again, you want your head coach and your GM aligned. That's, to me, what good organizations do. That's what organizations that are trying to win, that's how you do so. The GM and the head coach are aligned in their vision for how the team looks, how the team is going to play, and obviously you're in line where the GM has confidence in the head coach. If you have backstabbing, if you don't have belief, you're going to be the New York Jets. We see that time and time and time again. The Giants basically are the Jets record-wise and on the field. So maybe, you know, in one sense, it's counterintuitive to fire another head coach and just keep on going. But it, to me, it makes all the sense in the world to start fresh. Bring in a new GM, bring in a new head coach, worry about building the team up for 2022, and then 2023, worry about the quarterback and kind of finding that elusive position you haven't been able to find. I don't think, to me, Joe Judge is anything to warrant his return for 2022. But also, let me just say this. Talk about dysfunction. It makes zero sense yet again. If John Mara truly wants to get back to the winning ways, he wants to not be the reason why the Giants are losing, it makes zero sense for him with still games left in 2021, knowing you're going to fire your GM, it makes zero sense for him to already declare the quarterback is coming back and the head coach is coming back when you're going to hire a brand new person to make those decisions. Like, if you hire GM, don't you want them to allow them to do the job? Like, like if you're going to hire someone to be the GM, let them be the GM. Let them run the team. Let them make the decision in their mind that is best for the Giants moving forward. Instead, John Mara goes, I already know Joe Judge is the guy, and I already know Deion Jones is the guy. So whoever I hire, just to make sure that they know I don't trust them, I'm going to make sure and tell everyone these guys are returning. That is counterintuitive. That has shown, again, the latest example of why John Mara has become one of the worst owners in the NFL. That's what he is. He has now meddled enough recently, the last five, six years, where he has become one of the worst owners when it comes to team success. Right? He's no Daniel Snyder. Don't get me, you know, I'm not talking about that kind of that stuff. 
we're talking about on the field leading to wins, leading to your team being successful. John Myra now has done the opposite of that. And he is only adding to this function. This is the latest example of it. Declaring already Joe Judge and, and, and Daniel Jones are coming back in 2022, despite the fact that you know a new GM is going to be coming and you're not allowing him to do his own job. How about the Patriots? We talked about the Bills earlier and gave them credit for an, imp- you know, an impressive win in Foxborough. I thought improbable. It's starting to look like now the Patriots peaked at the wrong time. That seven-game win streak they rattled off in October and November. They look like they peaked at the wrong time then and now are not playing clean, crisp football. Like, the last two games are perfect examples of this. On the road at the Colts, home against the Bills. Those are two games where you saw the Patriots playing clean, crisp football, you know, defensively playing lights out, offensively being efficient. I thought these were two games that, honestly, the Patriots would win. I was a Colts fan. I was very, very nervous last week. And they almost did win. But the Patriots now kind of defensively have shown you this is not exactly an elite Bill Belichick unit that we have come to know. We always know Bill Belichick does what? Take away what you do best. Whether it's a running back, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a wide receiver, Bill Belichick has made his career on taking away what teams do best. And the last two weeks... He's been unable to do that. Jonathan Taylor, 170 yards, touchdown on the ground. The Colts won that game in large part, throwing only 12 passes and completing five. And even yesterday, we talked about the the Bills' offense. They are one-dimensional. They are Josh Allen. Josh Allen has to run the ball. Josh Allen has to throw the ball. So Bill Belichick knows, all right, as long as I stop Josh Allen, it's going to be another blowout victory. And he was unable to do so. The defense for New England could not get clutch stops on third down, on fourth down in the fourth quarter. Josh Allen answered every single offensive touchdown the Patriots scored in the second half. Every time momentum seemed to start to swing towards New England's way, Josh Allen lead them down the field, convert big third and tens, convert a fourth, uh, fourth and one, and continue to keep the drive going and continue to score touchdowns. That is really impressive from his perspective, but also concerning because that's something we haven't seen from Bill Belichick's defense when they are at a championship level. And offensively for New England, we are starting to see now who Mac Jones is, right? There's a reason why he was the fifth quarterback out of five take. He was by far the most NFL ready. I picked him to an offensive rookie of the year in part because you kind of see where he was going. He was going to the best situation with the Patriots. He had the most talent around him, unlike everyone else, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance was not even going to play. So he had the most talent around him. He had the best coach out of any rookie quarterback. And he was the most pro-ready playing in the Alabama system. He was good at, you know, quick decision maker, smart football player. But athletically, he has a, you know, a the lowest ceiling out of five, which is why he went fifth out of five in the first round. And now we're starting to see Mac Jones a really good quarterback when the Patriots get a lead, when the run game is rolling, when the defense is playing tremendous football. If they stay on schedule offensively and defensively, the Patriots are an extremely hard team to beat. But... When the defense is not getting stops. When the run game isn't dominating. We have seen the last two weeks Mac Jones struggle. Sure, he had a nice fourth quarter against the Colts. But for the first three quarters, his play was part of the reason why the Patriots were in a 20 to nothing hole entering the fourth quarter. Or late in the third quarter. Through two picks, one in the red zone that was very costly. And in the end, unable to play well enough to lead the Patriots to victory. And even yesterday, get off to a really slow start. The first half was abysmal. 
relied on the run game, you know, with Damon Harris over three, uh, over 100 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. But again, that defense was unable to get stops, and you see Mac Jones unable to lead the team to victory. This Bills defense, I get statistically they are impressive, but they truly, to me, are frauds. They can't get the big stop when needed. And I think even yesterday, we kind of saw Mac Jones being unable to take advantage of that. But usually, the hallmark of Mac Jones' uh, talent is what? Accuracy. He completed just 43% of his passes yesterday. 43. And now when you look, the more Mac Jones passes the ball, the less success the Patriots have. If he attempts 30 or more passes in a game, the Patriots is 5-5. Five and five. That's it. 5-5. Five and five. So even though they are now... Nine and six, I believe. Nine and seven. Ten and seven. I can't even do that. That's not even correct. I don't even know why I'm trying. And the point is now the Patriots have a winning record, right? But anytime now Mac Jones has attempted 30 more passes, he's just five and five. This offense is, is at its best when the run game is rolling and the defense is playing lights out. That was not the case on Sunday, which is why the Patriots ended up losing. So the Patriots at least think they have their franchise quarterback going forward in Mac Jones. You know who desperately needs a quarterback quickly? Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule's a good coach. I think he's going to have success in the NFL. I don't think he's going to get fired, nor do I think he should get fired at the end of the season. But priority number one, two, and three for Matt Rule this offseason is finding a quarterback. Because if not, if he can't do so, he's going to be fired. He's going to be fired. The latest, I guess, try... The latest way Matt Rule tried to be creative in getting the most out of his quarterbacks was he tried a platoon situation on Sunday. Cam Newton started. He played. Sam Darnold came in. He threw a few passes. You know, third and ten. Okay, let's take Cam out. Let's put Sam in. No surprise. It didn't work. A quarterback platoon never works. You got to pick one guy. You got to roll with it. You can't have quarterbacks coming cold off the bench to throw a pass on third down. Take a quarterback who's been in for most of the game, sit him down. You need to have quarterbacks develop rhythm. The platoon never works for a reason. And guess what? Panthers fans are frustrated. They were booing yesterday. They had fire Matt Rule chance out the entire stadium. And this is concerning because now this is the second year in a row the Panthers punted on a quarterback. They built up the team. You know me. I am the person who's always kind of pounding the desk to build up the team first, then take a quarterback. I think the Panthers are at that position, even though the offensive line is shaky. I think they're at the position now where they can truly make a big swing and are an attractive destination to land a quarterback. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is, is the kind of guy they're looking for. But if you can get Russell Wilson, who's still young, you know, and still has a lot of years left, obviously Deshaun Watson, if he's clearly legal and able to play it, and that's a situation that's not going to be, you know, pending his future. That's a guy that absolutely Carolina should attack and should try to get. Because you look now, defensively, they're ready to go. They're number two in terms of total defense in the NFL. They have players to throw the ball to. I like Chris McCaffrey. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy. Chuba Hubbard's a nice little, you know, a nice running back. They got receivers to throw the ball to. Quarterback has to be priority one, two, and three. Because Matt Rule's job, frankly, depends on it. This offseason is going to be fascinating to watch. The Panthers are going to be one of the most desperate teams to get a new one. And finally here, Sunday Night Football is a total, total beatdown. Cowboys just didn't even give the, the Washington football team a chance. My upset special, let's say, was dead in the first quarter. 
Washington football team plus 11. Not even close. But the biggest talking point, or one of the biggest things coming out of this game, was the fight on the sideline between Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. I'll be honest, that fight where Jonathan Allen swung and threw a punch, thankfully didn't connect, but threw a punch at his teammate on the sideline, honestly, it's not a big deal to me. For, for a few reasons. Number one, this came in the middle of the game when they were just getting their ass kicked. Right? They are, I think at this point, it's 21-0, 28-0. They are just, they don't even have a prayer. Their defense is not getting any stops. Dak Prescott is rolling. And that is now coming off of a game where on Tuesday, they were run all over by the Eagles. So defensively now, this is the second game in a row where they have just gotten beat up, pushed around, bullied by the teams they're facing. So you know at least that frustration is going to be there. And the thing I like about it is that it still shows the competitive fire still there. Like Ron Rivera, whether they believe him or you're not, I'm going to to say that I believe Ron Rivera, that he said post-game, you know, a lot of the frustration stemmed from not getting stops on defense, wanting to win but not being able to. He said at least a lot of the spark for the fight came from wanting to win but not being able to. And the reason why I believe him is because, you look, football is a very emotional sport, as we know. And when you're losing, it sucks. Tempers flare. You know, teammates do fight. We see it in training camp all the time. Now, I get, you know, there's a reason why there's more fights in training camp than in the season, but it's at least good to see there's still guys on the team that care. The season is, is unraveling right in front of them. They won the division last year at 7-9. and nine. You had a chance to at least make the playoffs in the seventh seed because everyone right now in the bottom of the NFC stinks. And you were right there. You lost a key division game to the Eagles, and now you got blown out on national TV to the Cowboys. At least that there's still competitive fire there. And I think because of the blowout, there was not a lot of talk about it. I think that's also part of the reason why that the fight was kind of blown up maybe more than it really should be. Like I know we never really see teammates fight, but at least for me, I'd like to see that there's still guys who care. And it sounds like at least they're able to apologize or, or, or just get back on the same page on the sideline. At least post-game, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne said they're all good. They're moving forward. I don't think the fight's terribly a big deal. When you return here on the Ryan Hickey Show in just a few minutes, Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals lose their third game in a row on Saturday night to a beleaguered, COVID-injury-ridden Colts team at home. Should Cliff Kingsbury be on the hot seat? We'll discuss that when we do return here to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ten AM on the East Coast. We appreciate you joining us here on the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Cardinals. They enter in the danger zone. We'll get to that in a second. But as always, a ten o'clock hour on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network is always sponsored by L. C Design. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. I didn't think I would be saying this honestly this season, but I have no other choice but to say Cliff Kingsbury, the Cardinals head coach, should be fired if Arizona doesn't win a playoff game. This is a team you look at has Super Bowl caliber talent. 
but they also have a head coach that's unable to rise up in the big moment. And we have seen it again and again and again in his career. Saturday night against Colts was the latest example. So if you have this Cardinals team go from 7-0, the only undefeated team in the NFL, to a wild card team where you can't even win your own division, where two weeks ago you were the number one seed in the NFC, and now you're going to be a five seed playing all your games on the road, and you are a one and done in the playoffs. Why the hell should the Cardinals bring Cliff Kingsbury back in 2022? What's your defense of Cliff for why he should keep his job in 2022? If you go from 7-0, number one seed in the NFC two weeks ago, to a wild card team and one and done in the playoffs, there is no reason, there is no explanation, there is no excuse as to why Cliff Kingsbury should be allowed to be brought back in 2022. This is not the same Cardinals team that started off 7-0. This is not a head coach that has proven to finish the season strong, to have his teams playing the best football when it matters most. And guess what? The Cardinals need to bring someone in. They got to really capitalize on this momentum with where their team is built to bring someone in that can get the most out of this roster, that can make sure the Cardinals are playing their best football in November and December and January. And this team, and Cliff Kingsbury, is not the guy. Because look, Saturday... Honestly, was a gimme. Saturday against the Colts should have been a game the Cardinals win 10 out of 10 times. I get the Colts are hot, but you are playing a depleted football team that entered the game on Saturday with three of their starting linemen out of the game because of COVID or other personal reasons. You had the best linebacker in football in Darius Leonard, the heart and soul of that defense, out because of COVID. And oh yeah, by the way, the Colts found out like five hours before game time. So you now weren't even able to feel the Colts to game plan to play a defensive scheme without your biggest playmaker in defense. And you also had a starting receiver in Zach Paschal, both starting safeties in this game out, and a starting defensive back. So you had four starters on defense out, three offensive linemen out, and that's just to start the game. Oh yeah, by the way, in the game, the Colts lost their starting left tackle, Eric Fisher. He got injured, wasn't able to return. Their starting tight end, Jack Doyle, who was kind of being, basically, being a sixth offensive lineman for when he was healthy, he left the game very early. And you had Frank Reich after the game say they had to change their play calling, not because the three offensive linemen that were out, not because Eric Fisher, the left tackle, was out, because Jack Doyle went out, their tight end. So that was a major loss for the Colts. And then one of the backups, Chris Reed, went out for a little bit. So you have now backups coming in to play for backups. At one point, the Colts are missing five of their six best offensive linemen from the game. And again, to go with, along with everything on defensively that they're missing. I lay that out to you. You talk about a just depleted, depleted Colts team. That's a game a 10-win Cardinal team should win every single time. You're at home. It's a primetime game. You got a gimme with how banged up the Colts should have been, and you still weren't able to win. You can't lose that game. You cannot lose that game and justify bringing you know, or keeping your job if you're Cliff Kingsbury. If you're Steve Kime, the GM, I don't see how you can sit there and say, Cliff is the guy to lead us to the promised land. He is the guy to lead us to the Super Bowl. Because the reason why the Colts won that game the reason why the Cardinals lost that game on Saturday? Self-inflicted wounds. That was the difference. The Cardinals made them. The Colts did not. And that's, to me, on coaching. Pre-snap penalties is just stupidity. 
The Cardinals committed 11 penalties on Saturday. Four resulted in first downs for the Colts. You were giving them free yards, free first downs. You had a bad snap that leads to a safety, two points for Indianapolis. You had two missed field goals and an extra point. Sure, can Cliff Kingsbury control the kicker? No, I get it. Every team is kicking woes. I understand. But the penalties, the sloppy play, the seemingly not being ready to play, not playing your best football, it's prime time. You're coming off a game where you got your ass beat by the Lions, the two-win Lions. You should come out crisp and play the best game this season. And again, where the Colts are giving you one because of how depleted they are with injuries and COVID. And you still can't even play a clean game. You are making fundamental mistakes that keep a team that has no business being in that game, allowing them, forget just being in the game, winning the game. You're going against, again, what is Cliff Kingsbury known for? Offense. Right? He was brought in to be paired with Kyler Murray to lead Kyler Murray to an MVP kind of season. And so forth through the first half of the season, Kyle looked like an MVP. Hell, to the Cardinals' credit, they were even winning games. They were 2-1 and one when Colt McCoy filled in for those three games that Kyler Murray missed. So you were winning games with your backup. But the key important part here is that was in the first half of the season. Second half of the season rolls around, Cliff collapses. And we saw it even from the offensive end on Saturday. Again, the Colts defense is missing four starters. They're heart and soul in the defense and Darius Leonard, both safeties, and a defensive back. That should be ripe for the picking for the offense to, to torch. I know you're missing DeAndre Hopkins. I know you're missing James Conner. But that still should be, you have plenty of other weapons to pick apart this Colts defense and have your way and have Kyler Murray kind of lead this team to victory. And the offense was tame. The offense wasn't scary. They barely pushed the ball down the field. And the final drive offensively for the Cardinals is the perfect example. You know, four minutes left. The Cardinals are down by nine points. You need two scores. And instead, they went and, and moved the ball down the field methodically. Like, they were trying to kill the clock. This is a team that needs two scores. They went on a 16-play drive. Four minutes left. You can't be going on a 16-play drive. And oh, yeah, by the way, they didn't even get the ball in the end zone. Settled for a field goal. Relied on, a, you know, on an onside kick that almost never works and obviously didn't work. But in a situation where you need to score and score quickly, the Cardinals were dumping the ball down the field. Five yards, six yards, getting tackled in bounds, keeping the clock running, giving the Colts a gift. A lot of that's unimaginable play calling. Not being able to get your guys open, not being able to scheme, you're open to make easy throws for Kyler, to push the ball down the field, to make big plays, explosive plays in the passing game. There was one deep pass to A.J. Green. There was one miraculous, insanely you know, great run by Kyler Murray for a touchdown. Other than that, this Cardinals defense was in neutral. Uh, this Cardinals offense was in neutral. It wasn't very scary. It wasn't very creative. There wasn't a lot of big explosive plays. Like, you had Kyler Murray throw for 245 yards, but was just, you know, average 5.7 yards per attempt. He's not pushing the ball down the field. He's not getting play calls that are giving him time to throw the ball down the field. The Colts' pass rush wasn't, you know, great. It's not like they were, you know, forcing the ball to get out of his hand quickly. He had time. The play designs, the play calls, the ability for your players to get open wasn't there. But it's not one game that has me saying that Cliff's job should be in the hot seat and should be fired if they don't win a playoff game. It's not just, you know, one game on national TV. 
It's not just the fact they lost three straight games, including a blowout loss to the Lions, and they lost the Rams team on Monday night, which they had their own COVID issues, where their, their running back was out, their tight end was out, Jalen Ramsey was out. It's not the fact that it's a three-game losing streak. Two of the losses have come to COVID-depleted teams that are still talented, but COVID-ridden, you know, ridden, and the other one came to a two-loss Lions team. It's the fact that now Cliff Kingsbury is in the midst of yet another second-half collapse. We talked about the Cardinals being the last team standing undefeated 7-0. Since the 7-0 start, in which the first loss of the season, mind you, came to a shorthanded Packers team, where they planned on a short week without their top three wide receivers, the, the Packers still won that game. You have now the Cardinals uh, going 3-5. and five. The last eight games since they started off 7-0. and oh. Guess what? That's who Cliff Kingsbury is. That's who his career has been. He has never, at any point in his career, finished a season strong. Right? So we just talked about it. 7-0 to you know, start the season this year, 3-5 and five since. 2020, they go to that 6-3 and three start. Remember, they beat the Seahawks on Sunday Night Football in a wild overtime game. A great win for Arizona. They go from 6-3, and 2-5 and five to miss the playoffs. They get off to a 3-3-1 three, three and one start in Cliff and Kyler's first year. They collapse on the stretch 2-7. and seven. Texas Tech, though, because this goes just beyond the Cardinals. This goes to Texas Tech. They get off to a 5-2 and two start to the season. Didn't win a game the second half of the year, 0-5. 2017, 4-1 start, 2-6 down the stretch. 2016, 3-1 start, 2-6 down the stretch. 2015, 5-2, finish the year, 2-4. His first year at Texas Tech, the Red Raiders were 7-0. and 7-0. Oh. Oh. You know how they finished that year? 1-5. He has had a losing record in every single second half of the year. Now outside of 2019, he's had a winning record in the first half of the year. Every single year he's coached, again, outside of 2019. This has been a guy who for his career in the first half of seasons, whether it's with Texas Tech, whether it's with the Cardinals, his career record is 42-12-1. That's 77% winning percentage. So in the first half of seasons, he has won 77% of his games. He's an elite first-half coach. But the Achilles heel for him and every single team he's coached has been the second half. In the second half of seasons, he is 16-50. and 50. That is a 24% winning percentage. So he is winning three-quarters of his games in the first half and losing three-quarters of his games in the second half of seasons in the NFL and in college football. That is a trend that is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. That is eight years worth of data to show you Cliff Kingsbury starts off hot, can never finish strong. So if you're now Steve Kahn, the Cardinals GM, well, you kind of knew this history in the back of your mind, but thought, okay, he'll be different. You see the Cardinals in year number one, fine. Maybe expectations weren't high, even though you got to a three, three, and one start. But you see a six and three season result in missing the playoffs last year. A 7-0 start this season leads to now you being a wild card team and most likely one and done in the playoffs. What are you what are you leaning on? What are you believing in that has you think Cliff Kingsbury could take this team to the Super Bowl? Again, I talked about it before. This is a Super Bowl caliber roster. I think Kyler Murray's a really good receiver. 
Obviously, I know DeAndre Hopkins is hurt right now, but he's a, a tremendous stud receiver. But they have other options with Rondon Moore and Christian Kirk and A.J. Green. James Conner has been a revelation. Him and James, uh, him and Chase Edmonds, when they're both healthy, have been a solid one-two punch uh, from the running back position. They have a lot of talent on defense. I know J.J. Watt is hurt, but they have a lot of veteran leadership. Chandler Jones was a menace, as always. They have great players in the secondary. There is talent at every single position on this team. But yet again, the head coach is unable to not only get the most out of his talent on his roster, is unable to have his team play their best football this season when it matters, December and January. The Cardinals crumbled down the stretch last year. I don't want to hear about Kyler Murray's injuries because that was even they started crumbling even before that. And now this year it's happening yet again. So you look around. There's a lot of great offensive minds that can take this team, I think, to the next level. You have Doug Peterson who's already shown he can, he's won a Super Bowl. And get a lot out of offense. I like Brian Dable, the Bills OC. I like Eric Bianami, the Chiefs OC. I like Byron Leftwich, the Buccaneers OC. I think those coaches are able to get more out of this roster than Cliff Kingsbury. So if you're Arizona now, you were looking at a season that you thought, you know, hey, we could go to the Super Bowl. The NFC is going to have to go through the desert if we're going to, you know, or make a run here come postseason time. Now you're looking at playing every game on the road. You're going to lose your own division to the Rams. You've lost three games in a row. One to one of the worst teams in the NFL in Detroit. Two other games to COVID-depleted good teams. And you're going to bring Cliff Kingsbury back? It doesn't make any sense. So barring a miraculous, and it would be at this point with the way the Cardinals are playing, a miraculous postseason run to the NFC title game or even the Super Bowl, Cliff Kingsbury should be fired at the end of the season. It's not even a question. It's really not even a debate. But I'm curious your thoughts here. Are you with me? Or should the Cardinals ride it out with Cliff and bring him back in 2022? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook Worldwide Sports Right Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Should Cliff Kingsbury be fired at the end of the season if the Cardinals don't win a playoff game? From 7-0, possibly coach of the year, to out of a job at the end of the year. I don't think we've ever seen such a, a swift fall from grace in one season. Like that's where we are with Cliff Kingsbury because yet again, what Cliff Kingsbury does, second half collapse. Just like, you know, to steal a line from wedding crashers, right? What does Maryland do? Crab kicks in football? Or what does Cliff Kingsbury do? Look good and choke in the second half of the season. That's what he does. That's what he's shown you every single year he's been at coach. That's why for me, the Cardinals got to move on at the end of the year. So if you get your thoughts again, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Speaking of moving on, Twitter was done with Cliff Kingsbury. Twitter is done with Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Is it time for Cleveland to move on from their quarterback at the end of the year? Should they bring in someone else to replace Baker Mayfield? We'll discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show. We're talking a lot of, I guess we're really not in the Christmas spirit today. Talking about firing Cliff Kingsbury. Now talking about potential upgrades for the Cleveland Browns at quarterback. Let's say this, though. 
I know Baker Mayfield played awful against the Packers on Saturday. I know this season has been a real disappointment, both record-wise, both performance-wise from Baker Mayfield. But let's call, it, call for what it is. Despite everyone wanting a, a upgraded quarterback for the Browns, it is very likely Baker Mayfield is back as a Browns starter in 2022. And I think he should be back as the Browns starter in 2022. There's two reasons and two things that are true about Baker right now as a Browns starting quarterback. Number one, he's been playing hurt all season long. It's in the shoulder injuries impact the way he's playing, whether you want to try to just ignore it and blame him or, or live in reality. The reality is Baker's left shoulder injury has impacted the way he has played all season long and has led to a lot of the bad play that he's we have seen from him this season. That's number one. Number two, the other truth about right now Baker Mayfield as the Browns quarterback is that there aren't many upgrades over Baker. They're not. If you want to replace him, who are you going to replace him with? We'll get to that in a second here, but let's just talk about Baker's play this season in 2021. You have to take injuries into account when discussing how he's played this season. It really stinks because this was a year I was very high on Baker Mayfield. I thought both him and Lamar Jackson um, were going to have tremendous 2021 seasons. Obviously, we know Lamar um, injuries have changed that and even just you know injuries around the rest of the team have made his job a lot easier this season. But for Baker, right, he hurt his left shoulder week two, basically right away. He's making a tackle against the Texans, hurts his left shoulder, tears the labrum. It's only gotten worse as the season progressed, and it has impacted the way his entire season has gone. I know it's maybe a small sample size, but that's all we have in 2021. He has played one game fully healthy this season. That was against the Chiefs week number one. He played pretty well. Let's go for what it is. 75% completion pass, uh, percentage, 321 pass yards. He threw a pick. I would say that pick is a little, you know, not total on him. He's falling down. He's getting hit as he's throwing the ball that ended the game. But he had his highest yards per attempt at 11.4 of the entire season. So he's pushing the ball down the field again. Was efficient, threw for 321 yards. It was a loss. He did throw a pick. But that was the only game this season where Baker was fully healthy and we could truly evaluate how his play. So injuries have been a huge part of the reason why he has struggled, but also, to call for what it is, he has played bad himself. Right? He has had bad decisions, or he has, I should say, made bad decisions. He's had poor throws, in part because of his shoulder, in part just because his, you know, his accuracy is taking a dip, and he's really not giving either his receiver a chance or, making, or not making the best possible decision with his injury history considered. Now, I thought that's what happened on Saturday. Right? The last pick... He threw four picks against the Packers. The last one, were, you really should not count. I know it counts on the stat book. It should have been pass interference. Don Peoples-Jones was pulled back. Rasul Douglas clearly interfered, got the pick, game over, no flag. But the other three, though, were on Baker. A lot of it was bad decision-making, right? He had one receiver wide open in the flat. Instead, you know, either didn't see him or chose to decide, hey, this is a better decision. I'm going to throw the ball into double coverage deep. That led to an interception. His inaccuracy, his poor fundamentals led to the other two picks where he's not stepping into his throws. He's overthrowing receivers. His accuracy, you know, it's behind receivers. He's not making accurate passes to the chest of his, uh, of his players. That's on Baker. And the, the frustrating part if you're the Browns and, and the reason why those picks are so costly is because now they're adding into touchdowns for the other team. Packers took all three of those picks and Aaron Rodgers does what he does best. 
turned all three of those turnovers into touchdowns. 21 points. I mean, the game was 24-22. Every single touchdown the Packers scored on Saturday came off of a pick from Baker Mayfield. You can't put your team with your Baker in that situation. you got to be better. you got to be safe with the ball. If your accuracy is taking a dip in Parker's your shoulder injury, I know he's dealing with a knee and an ankle and a groin injury. He's banged up. He's, he said this is the most banged up earlier this year that he's ever been in his career. Okay. One, I, I hear you. But also, two, if that's the case, you also got to be smart and realize, well, my shoulder injury is limiting me, so now I can't maybe make these tight window throws that I would if I was healthy. Now i got to be extra safe with the ball where, you know what, maybe a sack, maybe throwing it away, maybe looking for a check down is right now the smarter option because right now for me and my physical health, that is the best play for this team. Instead, at times, he is playing like he's fully 100% healthy, and that is costing the Browns. So that is on Baker. That is solely on him. Injuries can't be blamed for that. But at the same time, you also got to take into account his shoulder injury has limited his play really since week two. So that's one of the reasons why I do think some of it's on him, but also a lot of his play this year, a lot of his poor play in 2021 is because of his injuries. So I would still bring him back in 2022, and you hope he stays healthy. The rules protect the quarterbacks now. You hope that this was this season was a learning lesson where he won't be as reckless trying to tackle Ball carriers will he'll get out of harm's way and he'll protect himself and not leave him himself susceptible to big hits moving forward. So that's the first part. But here's the other thing. If you want an upgrade in Cleveland, the question is, who are you going to get? There's not many upgrades available for the Browns. There's only three quarterbacks that are better than Baker Mayfield that are available. Now, they're the three big ones. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Now, I'm not sitting here. I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to be an idiot and say, Keep Baker Mayfield, don't get Deshaun Watson, don't pursue Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. No, no, no. The Browns got it. If you can pull the trigger, if you can make a trade with the Seahawks for Russell Wilson or the Texans for Deshaun Watson, it legally works out and he wants to go to Cleveland, you can get him there. Or Aaron Rodgers says, you know what? Cleveland's where I want to be. Green Bay, no thanks. Denver, no thanks. Uh, Cleveland's a spot for me. I'm going to lift the Browns to their first Super Bowl ever. You pull the trigger, you don't think twice about it. It's easy. But let's also not forget, these three guys are the most coveted players on the market. There's no guarantee that Aaron Rodgers wants that. I think he's going to be traded. But there's momentum, there's discussion, there's chatter. More and more that maybe Aaron Rodgers and Brian Gutekunst have made up and he will finish his career as a Packer in Green Bay. I think Russell Wilson is for sure gone. But is he a, is he a guy who wants to play in a big market? Is he someone who has his eyes set on Philly or New York or Miami? And would, you know, prefer a bigger market, even the, well, not the Bears, but uh, a bigger market for Sierra's music career and maybe play on a lesser team than having a legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl if you're the uh, quarterback of the Browns. Or maybe Deshaun Watson, right? Right now, obviously, legally, his situation is untenable for any team to trade for. But what we do know from reports is that the only team right now that Deshaun Watson has wages no trade clause to is the Dolphins. So if that doesn't change and he wants to be a Dolphin and the, the Miami makes the move, now you're you know sitting there, well, okay, Aaron Rodgers maybe doesn't leave, Russell Wilson wants a bigger market, let's say, and, and Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Dolphins. If you don't get one of the three big quarterbacks, there's no other guy out there that can replace Baker Mayfield that's better than what you got with Baker. 
Like, look who else is going to be out there. Jimmy G. Would you rather have Jimmy G or Baker? I'm taking Baker Mayfield. Jameis Winston. Would you rather have Jameis Winston or Baker? I'll take Baker. Andy Dalton. No. Teddy Bridgewater. No thanks. Kirk Cousins. If he's traded by the Vikings and they move on from him, they say, screw it, we're done with him. Do you really want Kirk Cousins as your quarterback for Cleveland? Are you going to feel that much better about the state of your team and your Super Bowl chances than if you have Baker Mayfield? I'm absolutely not. I'm taking Baker over Kirk all day long. You want Ryan Fitzpatrick? Even, you know, Matt Ryan. I don't think he'll be traded, but if somehow he's available, I would still take Baker Mayfield. So again, the three big-time quarterbacks are obvious. If you can land a trade for Deshaun Watson, assuming he's legally uh, able to play, if you can land a trade for Aaron Rodgers, if you can land a trade for Russell Wilson, you do so if you're the Browns. You absolutely do so. But if you can't, where every team is going to be in hot pursuit of these guys, and they choose to stay, they choose to go elsewhere, and you are unable to get one of the big three, there was no other upgrade out there for the Browns. And part of moving on from your current quarterback is finding a quarterback who is better. And they're there to me, outside of the three big quarterbacks, no quarterback on the market that's available that you can trade for or sign a free agency that is better than Baker Mayfield or even in the draft. There's no quarterback in the draft right now you can draft and say, this is our guy, he's going to lead us to the Super Bowl. No. So you roll with Baker. Because let's also not forget, by the way, I know 2021 has been bad. And I understand recency bias is something that we all fall victim to, where you only for, you know, we only remember the most recent part. We don't remember past events. 2020 Baker made for the second half of the year was a really solid quarterback. The final eight games of the season, that includes two playoff games against the Steelers and the Chiefs. Baker Mayfield finished the season, 15 touchdown passes, two interceptions, averaged 104 passer rating. That's including two playoff games. That's including big-time games in December and January to get the Browns into the playoffs for the first time since 2002. Win a playoff game for the first time since 1994. You go to Pittsburgh, a team that has owned you every single year, place you haven't won in decades, and you go and blow them out. You almost single-handedly end the Ben Roethlisberger era in Pittsburgh. Now, he's obviously back for one more year, but that loss sent shockwaves throughout the organization. That was done in part because of your quarterback in Baker Mayfield who helped get the Browns off to a hot start. So let's not forget, Baker Mayfield to me is still a good quarterback. Still someone who can really rise up to that, we'll say second tier, but a very high second tier quarterback. So I get 2021 has not gone well and on national TV against the Packers when you throw four picks, I get. It is not a very good look, and it's very easy for fans to say, this guy stinks, let's move on with him. Let's get someone else in here. But when you look around, there's not a lot of upgrades. And not to mention, he has still played well in injuries, whether you want to admit it or not, injuries that played a big factor in why Baker struggled in 2021. That's why he's already, you know, if you're the Browns, you already exercise his fifth-year option. You absolutely do not give him a contract extension this offseason. You play it out. And you see how 2022 goes. It's going to be very hard to land one of the three elite quarterbacks that are going to be potentially on the market this offseason. Unless you can get one of those three, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, or Sean Watson, Baker Mayfield should be the Browns quarterback in 2022, and he will be the Browns quarterback in 2022. That's where I stand, but what about you? What should the Browns do? Should they move on from Baker Mayfield in your mind no matter what? 
Is it time to get a new quarterback in there? Are you a believer? That Baker Mayfield can lead the Browns to a championship. Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll circle back to one thing about Joe Judge when we turn here. And also, the Bengals and the Bills. Two massive wins on, uh, on Sunday yesterday. But I will say, I feel really good about the Bengals, and I still am concerned about the Bills. I'll explain my encouragement and my concern when we return here to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. There's a comment I saw about Baker Mayfield I want to get to here in a second. But two, I want to hit on at least two of the biggest and most impressive performances from Sunday. Bengals blowing out the Ravens to what I think is going to set themselves up to be in the driver's seat and eventually clinch the AFC North division. And the Bills getting an improbable win over the Patriots in Foxborough on Sunday. I think we'll set up the Bills to win the AFCs. Right now, there are those teams clinch with the win. But I think the Bengals now are going to win the AFC North and the Bills are going to win the AFCs. There is, to me, a lot of encouragement to take from Cincinnati's perspective coming out of this win over the Ravens. And there is something and a reason to be concerned. And it's a big win, but there's a reason to be concerned about the Bills coming out of their improbable win over the Patriots. So let's, let's start with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. Goes for me. It is very encouraging that your franchise quarterback in year two of his career saved the best game of his NFL career for the biggest game of the season. But this game, to me, was going to decide the AFC North. I just told you that before. The Ravens and the Bengals. I don't think the Browns are healthy enough and in a position to win the division. And the Steelers, I don't think, are a very good team. So even though mathematically all four teams are still alive, and if the Bengals lose to the Chiefs, that Browns-Bengals game basically will be for the division. I still do think the, the Bengals are in a great spot in part because of how Joe Burrow played. Franchise record 525 yards and four touchdowns. The reason why that's so important is because, frankly, Joe Burrow's his play in some of the big games this year has not reflected what we saw yesterday. Now, we saw two home games in a row against the Chargers and against the 49ers earlier this month where he has struggled. He did not play well you know, in that Chargers loss where they eventually lost by 20, but they got off to a start where they were down 24-0. And for the 49ers game... They lost in overtime. They did come back in the fourth quarter, but for the first three quarters of that game, Joe Burrow struggled. The offense only put up six points. So you had two big games in the month of December for an inexperienced team, right, who hasn't really been there before, who hasn't won a division since 2015, who hasn't won a playoff game since 1990. You had kind of, I don't say the moment gets to them, but you had Joe Burrow in some big moments struggle against the Chargers, struggle against the 49ers. And to see him bounce back, to see his confidence never waver, even though you're playing you know, a beleaguered uh, Ravens secondary, ask Aaron Rodgers. That fourth quarter got hairy in part because Baltimore started making stops and Tyler Huntley led him down the field to where they were a two-point conversion away from taking the lead in the final minute of the game. Now, I get there's no Tyler Huntley and no Lamar Jackson. It was Josh Johnson who made the start for the, uh, for the Ravens. But this is still a, a Ravens defense that is extremely well coached, that is veteran-laden, that knows, you know, kind of how to play well in the big moment. The Bengals don't know how to play well in the big moment because they've never been there. 
Think, look how young this team is. Zach Taylor, the head coach. Joe Burrow, the, you know, the quarterback. Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. Everyone on offense, and a lot of your important pieces on defense, have never known what it means to win big games to get to the playoffs, to play in meaningful December football. So that moment, there's, you know, there's a chance it could grow too big and the Bengals collapse. Even though you're going against a third-string quarterback, even though you're going against a, a, a secondary in Baltimore that has been ravaged by injury, you can still have the moment get to a young, inexperienced team where they don't know how to win, where they don't know how to handle the pressure, and they collapse. And instead, Joe Burrow comes out there, 47 pass attempts, 9 incompletions, with a franchise record 525 yards and 4 touchdowns. He played the best game of his career in the biggest game of the season. In a game that I think is going to decide the division for the Bengals. That is super, super encouraging. They're a balanced team on offense. They can run the ball with Joe Mixon. They're defensive against stops. They're getting after the quarterback with Trey Hendrickson. But to see Joe Burrow take over, put the team on his back in a, in a game where they needed to have, to me, is very encouraging. because I do think this Bengals team is now in a position where they can win a playoff game. Forget making the playoffs. Forget winning the division. I think they can truly win a playoff game for the first time since 1990. I think that's what a win like this does for Cincinnati moving forward. Now, on the flip side, for the Bills, because I thought, again, equally as impressed, I did not think Buffalo was going to win after that just, well, I thought an embarrassing performance on Monday night a few weeks ago where the Patriots just absolutely bullied the Bills and embarrassed them by running the ball 46 out of 49 plays for 222 yards and winning that game. I did not think the Bills would be able to get off the mat in this one and respond on the road against the same Patriots team that embarrassed them a few weeks ago. And they won in large part, in only part, honestly, because of Josh Allen. And that, to me, is the concerning part. It's because right now, the Bills' formula this season, not just in this game, but the entirety of the season so far, the way they win big games, the way they are able to get big-time performances is only if Josh Allen plays at an exceptionally high level. They can't win if Josh Allen plays anything below great. Anything below great, they don't win these games. And that's not a recipe for success. We were talking about a Bills team that came in with Super Bowl aspirations. They're going to make the postseason. They're going to win the AFC East. But now when we're talking about who can take down the Chiefs, who can make some noise in the playoffs, who can make a run to the AFC title game or the Super Bowl, I don't see how you can put the Bills in this conversation even after yesterday's win over New England because it was yet the latest example of Josh Allen needing to be a Superman. I think the one thing we have seen come playoff time, you cannot rely on your quarterback to be Superman. You need to be able to win in multiple ways to if your quarterback has an off day or your elite defense isn't playing well. You need another area of the team to step up and consistently all season long. And that has not been the case for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen was like, like I said, had a heroic performance yesterday. 314 yards, three touchdowns. He also was a leading rusher for the Bills, 64 yards on 12 carries. Sixth time this season, sixth, where Josh Allen was the leading rusher and the leading passer. That goes to show the run game for Buffalo is not very good. It cannot be relied upon in big moments. If you need to salt away a game, if you need to establish run and maybe have, you know, have some ball control, time possession, the Buffalo Bills cannot do so. They need to rely on Josh Allen to lead them with his arm and lead them with his legs. You can't rely on any other aspect of the Bills 
outside of Josh Allen to win you the game. That is concerning. Defensively, talking about it for, for weeks now, the Bills to me are the biggest frauds uh, defensively in the NFL. No team stats are more misleading than the Buffalo Bills stats. Well, they are top of the NFL in total defense, and they're one of the best you know, in terms of points per game. But you need clutch stops. When you are facing competent offenses, Buffalo's defense does not show up, and yesterday was the latest example. Second half, you're nursing a two-score lead twice. Your defense needs stops twice. The Patriots marched down the field to take or to cut into the deficit, to make it a one-score game. Now, again, credit to Josh Allen. Both times he answered those drives with a touchdown drive of his own. But it goes back to the heroic performance. Where one of those drives was a 66-yard drive, 61, and then came from Josh Allen, either with his legs or with his arm. This is going to be, again, another situation where Josh Allen needs to play near-perfect football if the Bills are going to win. He played, to his credit, near-perfect football yesterday. But can we seriously sit here and expect Josh Allen to play at an elite level every single week? The answer is no. Well, let's just call for what it is. The answer is no. And we saw, I think, the perfect example of this is that Bucks game a few weeks ago. Josh Allen had a poor first half. The defense didn't help him out at all. They didn't even try to run the ball. They're down 24-3 at halftime. Josh Allen in the second half puts on a Superman cape and leads the Bills to tie the game in heroic fashion. Guess what? Overtime, the Bills get the ball. They go three and out. Josh Allen unable to lead them to a scoring drive. And as we know, Tom Brady leads the Bucks down the field for the overtime winner. If Josh Allen isn't perfect, you can't rely on the defense to get you a stop. You can't rely on the run game to, let's say, take over the game if Josh Allen's accuracy is not there or he's struggling to hit receivers or he's turned the ball over. There's only one way the Bills win games, and that is Josh Allen playing at a, a Herculean effort. But that's not how you win postseason games. That's not how you win two, three, four postseason games to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. It was an impressive win, and I'll say it again until the cows come home. That was a win where I did not think the Bills were going to get. Josh Allen, I thought, had one of the best performances, not only this season, for him, but at least at Week 16 yesterday. He was outstanding. He answered the bell himself. He made clutch runs on third down. He made clutch throws on third and fourth down. He was great. But we have seen yet again, the Bills' only way of winning is Josh Allen being great. I'm not going to rely on Josh Allen to be tremendous, elite, four playoff games in a row in order for the Bills to win the Super Bowl. That's why, for me, I'm concerned with Bills Mafia and the Bills coming out of this game. Tremendous win. They're going to win the AFC, so they're going to get at least one home playoff game. But the recipe for success is one that is not, one that I'm not feeling great about if you are Buffalo going forward. So that's why I feel good about the Bengals. I don't feel good about the Bills, even though both of these teams had massive wins in Week 16. One thing I want to say here. I saw a comment uh, that we got on Twitter talking about Baker Mayfield and replacing Baker Mayfield. You want, you know, uh, Twitter was, was saying Baker's done, Brown's got to move on. If it's not Russell Wilson, which I would agree, you make the trade in a second. If it's not Aaron Rodgers, again, you make the trade in a second. If it's not Deshaun Watson, legally, if he's allowed to play, again, you make the trade in a second. If it's not one of those three guys who are going to be hotly, you know, pursued by almost every team in the NFL, if you cannot land one of those three guys, there is no replacement for Baker Mayfield. You're rolling with him in 2022, and as you should. But of course, on Twitter, see a comment. I'll take all those guys I listed. Jimmy G, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, 
Um, uh, now I, I, pl- I apologize. I'm blanking now on some of these other names, but there were just some, you know, basically classic backup quarterbacks that were out there. You're not taking them over Baker Mayfield. You're not going to be taking, like I said, um, let's see, Andy Dalton, Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins. You're not taking those guys over Baker Mayfield. Let's not be stupid here. Baker is better than Jimmy G, than Jameis, than Dalton, than Teddy Bridgewater, than, than Ryan Fitzpatrick, than Kirk Cousins. So unless it's one of the big three quarterbacks, Baker is back with Cleveland in 2022, and he absolutely should be. Saturday was ugly. Saturday is frustrating. He's been injured. Let's see what he can do in 2022 when he's fully healthy and if he can take care of himself a lot better. So I just wanted to respond to that one comment. I thought it was just lunacy. Let's not, you know, let's not get crazy now. Let's not overreact to a, a really bad game on national TV and then forget conveniently what Baker's done when he's healthy last year and this year. So that was how we'll end the Ryan Hickey Show on Monday. I really do appreciate everyone who started their week with us. It's a, it's a weird and wonky week right in between Christmas and New Year's. If you're working, hopefully the work week goes by quick. If you're off, well, congratulations. We appreciate you making us a part of your vacation anyway. We will be back on Thursday, get you ready for the new year. And we got some big-time college football playoff matchups to preview. Alabama-Cincinnati. Can Cincinnati keep it close? Or hell, pull off an upset. Georgia-Michigan, two teams with similar styles. Who in that game? We got the playoff on Friday. So, of course, Thursday show, we will be breaking it all down for you then. So, from now until then, now until Thursday, again, one last time, a belated Merry Christmas. Hopefully, Santa treated you well and the holiday was enjoyable. Stay safe, as always. Stay sane. And we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.